You find your way to the intersection of faith and the culture. It's Wall Builders. We're taking on those hot topics of the day from a biblical, historical, and constitutional perspective. That means we're looking at whatever everybody's talking about. We're looking at that from, as best we can, from a biblical perspective. What's the Word of God say about it? And I promise you, you want to save America, most important thing you can do is be in God's Word every day. As you're reading God's Word, then you read the articles that are applying God's Word to what's happening in the culture and sharing stories of times throughout American history where someone applied that particular scripture that you just read there's just no substitute for it. I love it. I'm going back to the Founders Bible myself again this year, sharing that on social media. If you want to follow on social media, I post every day or you know once a week on what the reading is going to be for that week and for each individual day, and it'll get you through the entire Founders Bible. It's really, really a great way to dive in. So biblical perspective, and then historical and constitutional perspective. What can we learn from history about that hot topic of the day? What does the Constitution say? In other words, how do you approach that issue under our particular form of government. So that's what we do at Wall Builders, biblical, historical, and constitutional perspective as we are rebuilding the walls, rebuilding the foundations of this nation. Greatest nation in the history of the world, folks. Most powerful, most free, the wealthiest, most benevolent nation the world has ever known. And there's a reason for that. There's a formula. There's a secret sauce that produced that result. We've moved away from that secret sauce for years now. It's time to get back to it. And that's what Wall Builders does. My name is Rick Green. I'm a former Texas legislator and America's Constitution coach. And I am thrilled and honored to be serving here with David and Tim Barton. David is America's premier historian. He's our founder at Wall Builders. Tim's a national speaker and pastor and president of Wall Builders. And all three of us are excited to be able to serve you through this program and through the other things that Wall Builders does to reach out and impact the culture with pastors and teachers and, you know, all kinds of folks, young people, you name it, legislators. But it's just uh, it's just an honor to be here and be a part of this. And we appreciate you joining us here on Wall Builders. All right, guys, later in the program, we've got a professor with us. I know we don't have a lot of professors on the program because most professors are really far out there left wing on colleges today, but there's a few good ones left. And this one is going to be really interesting. Professor William Happer, and he's actually a, a climatologist, and he's going to be basically debunking a lot of the nonsense out there on the on the climate change folks and the, and the amount of money they want to spend, the programs they want to put in place. Man, David, you've been talking about this. Uh, I don't want to age us here at Wall Builders, but for decades, no kidding, like testified in the U.S. Senate on this very topic. Um, I, actually, let's see, David, was that when they were still calling for a global freeze instead of global warming, or was <laughs> yeah. that a few years after that and it was global warming? So seriously, you've been on this one for a long time. Yeah, and interesting, This a lot of this climate change stuff, you got to go back to 1990. And, and by the way, I've mentioned it before, this is another proof of, of what I believe with all my heart. Being a progressive means never having to say you're sorry because they get stuff wrong all the time and they never admit it and they just play like they were always right and they've always been right and they come out with something new and absurd and all the scientists are behind it, they say, and on it goes. So we've heard this all this stuff about really climatologists saying, oh yeah, global warming or climate change or whatever we're going to call Why is it? Why is it that it's climate change for the last seven to eight years and it was global warming for the first 25 or so? Well, the reason is since there, there has not been an increase in global temperatures worldwide since 1996. So that's kind of a problem if you're going to have global warming and the, the planet's not getting warmer. So that's one thing. Now, let's go back to where this starts. In 1990, you have what's called the IPCC, and that's the International Panel on Climate Change, and that is 
that that group is out of the UN. That's a UN group, and the UN again is something that's worthless. Um, they do so much more damage than any possible good they do. Uh, so much corruption associated with it. But in 1990, all this group, and I think it was, as I recall, it was 2,500 uh, scientists signed off on this thing and said, look, because of the imminent danger of climate change, um, the, the polar ice caps are melting and the rise in water is going to destroy more than half of the Earth's inhabitants. They will drown. Uh, in the next few years, we will have a 40-foot increase in the ocean because of all the ice melting as a result of climate change. Now, remember, this is 1990, and they're, they're predicting just a few years it's going to be uh, this massive amount, and half the world's going to drown because so much of the world lives along coastal areas and along the, the ocean and seas. Well, they came back with their second report and their third report, and the third report was probably 12 years later, and they said, well, actually, we think it's only going to be one or two inches, and, and it's not even that. So here they are, that they make this splash announcement, everybody picks it up, and they themselves start backing off because their, their claims all, all come out wrong. Well, let's also talk about the fact that the Great Barrington Declaration came out with more than 17,000 climatologists and others signing that. So here you got 2,500 to say, oh, here's what's going to happen. You got 17,000 disagree, and all the progressives and liberals go with the 2,500 anthropogenic or man-made climate change is not happening. The climate will change on its own, and it does all the time, which is why we keep records. But being caused by human activity? No, no, no. So Professor Happer is, is a climatologist, and he really comes at this from where the majority of these guys are. But it's a very unheard voice today. That side that's represented by most climatologists is not the voice you hear. And so it, it's, it's really nice to have someone who has all the credentials, but who does all the information as well. And actually, he was a consultant with Trump on this issue. And so to have someone of his status and his standing, this is going to be a really fun interview. I'm looking forward to seeing what he's got to say. Stay with us, folks. And, I, and by the way, I said um, uh, climatologist. He's a professor emeritus physics. of physics. Physics. Yeah. And by the way, what university? Princeton. Princeton. That's elite. Wow. Yeah, you know, a bastion of conservatism, too, right? That's right. No, I mean, that's, that's, what, that's part of what's so surprising here. All right, stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. You're listening to Wallbuilders. Have you noticed the vacuum of leadership in America? We're looking around for leaders of principle to step up, and too often, no one is there. God is raising up a generation of young leaders with a passion for impacting the world around them. They're crying out for the mentorship and leadership training they need. Patriot Academy was created to meet that need. Patriot Academy graduates now serve in state capitals around America, in the halls of Congress, in business, in the film industry, in the pulpit, in every area of the culture. They're leading effectively and impacting the world around them. Patriot Academy is now expanding across the nation, and now's your chance to experience this life-changing week that trains champions to change the world. Visit PatriotAcademy.com for dates and locations. Our core program is still for young leaders 16 to 25 years old, but we also now have a citizen track for adults. So visit the website today to learn more. Help us fill the void of leadership in America. Join us in training champions to change the world at PatriotAcademy.com. This is Tim Barton from Wall Builders with another moment from American history. The year after the American War for Independence ended, 
We begin addressing the issue of Muslim terrorists in North Africa who were attacking American ships and killing and enslaving American seamen. Congress dispatched John Adams and Thomas Jefferson to negotiate peace, and when they asked the Muslim ambassador the reason for the unprovoked attacks, he told them that it was written in their Quran, that it was their right and duty to make war upon them whenever they could be found. Sixteen years of negotiations failed, and in 1801, America sent its military to crush the terrorists. When that war ended in 1805, the first American edition of the Quran was published, urging Americans to read the Quran to see for themselves that its teachings were incompatible with the safety and peace of non-Muslims. To see the first American Quran and to get more information about America's first war on Islamic terror, go to wallbuilders.com. Welcome back. Thanks for staying with us. We have Professor William Happer from Princeton. He's Professor Emeritus of Physics there and a former climate advisor to President Trump. Professor, thank you so much for your time today. Well, thanks for your interest. Well, always interested in this topic because it's uh, it just seems to be one of those that gets used by politicians uh, to, to, to push one way or the other with uh, very little actual science. So it's good to talk to somebody that's uh, such an expert on it. Can you just start with the Answering the you know the basic question of is this settled science? We hear that all the time, which I don't know what that means because I thought science meant you're always questioning. But anyway, what do you say to people when they say the whole climate change debate is settled science? Well, of course that's nonsense. I mean, science is never settled. You know, we're still investigating things that Isaac Newton thought were true hundreds of years ago. And so that's the nature of science is that uh, you have to continually be skeptical about your own findings and those of others. Uh, with respect to climate, it's pretty clear that the uh, establishment narrative on climate is uh, completely wrong. The uh, warming of the Earth has been much smaller than predictions of computer models and uh so there is no real worry about climate. Climate is uh, changing as it always has. It's been changing as long as the Earth has existed. It will continue to change, and it doesn't matter how many laws Congress passes. It will continue to change. You know, Professor, I, I expect politicians to, to manipulate data and manipulate things. But when in the scientific community and, and as a professor, when you're talking to colleagues and you're going to conferences and you're around, I mean, do you find that in the scientific community, this issue is as manipulated? Or do you guys, when y'all are sitting around behind the scenes, you're going, I can't believe they keep using our papers in, in the way that they are. Does that question make sense? Well, you know, they will tell you that in private but they're unwilling to break uh, break ranks in public. You know, mm. it's a little bit like Omerta, you know, and the mafia. You know, you just keep quiet because it might affect next year's funding, you know, from uh, granting agencies. Yeah, that's, wow, that's a topic in and of itself, right? How much government funding can, you know, actually negatively affect actual science because it's manipulating the outcome. Well, you know, you know, people are always saying, you know, that people like myself are in the pay of oil companies. Actually, that's completely false. I've never taken a nickel from oil companies. But the people who are pushing the alarmist agenda are completely uh, uh, conflicted because their entire uh, uh, 
income depends on on maintaining alarmism. Yeah. And so, you know, there is a conflict of interest for sure, but it's on the side of the alarmists. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. One of the things that seems most worrisome to me, and we, of course, saw it play out in, with, with COVID, where where you're not allowed to have an opposing view. And and we've always, you know, Patrick Henry, even all the way back to give me liberty, give me death speech, started that speech saying, according to the magnitude of the subject, ought to be the freedom of the debate. That's the only way you get to the truth. And it just, man, the, the fact that we silence people that have an opposing view seems very dangerous to me. What, what do you say to people on that subject? Well, you know, George Orwell talked about this in uh, his novel, 1984. There was something called the Thought Police, and yeah. uh, we we're rapidly developing a Thought Police, and there were thought crimes, and, you know, so being skeptical about anything nowadays uh, risks branding you as a thought criminal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Doesn't that make it harder to, to have actual science and, and actual review of what's going on? Yeah, you know, I, I think that real climate science uh, has probably been set back by 50 years by, mm -hmm. uh, you know, this focus on uh, CO2 and greenhouse gases. It's clear that they're not very important. You know, they cause some warming, but it's not enough to worry about. And furthermore, you know, CO2 is tremendously benefiting agriculture and forestry. So everything about it is good, you know. Not only the uh, convenience, the uh, accessibility, but the fact that it's making the earth a, a greener and more, more verdant place than it used to be. Wow. Yeah. And yet that's uh, that's been what has been, you know, uh, demonized. And 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 then you end up with policies that from the government that become economically, I, I would argue, catastrophic. And, and we end up getting rid of things that were actually benefiting people. Um, exactly backwards. Yeah, no, <laughs> what we should no be doing. you're you're right. Some of the policies they're they're really suicidal. Yeah, and you know, of, of course, they're not going to work. But in the they can do a lot of damage before people finally realize that we got to junk this stuff. So it's better to junk it earlier than later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So what? T tell me a little bit about your thoughts on on how we turn this thing around because it, we do almost have a religious fervor on this on this issue. It's it's been so. I guess, inculcated in the education system from a very young age that a, a lot of kids come out of college uh, believing this with a, a zealotry. I mean, they, they literally, it's like a religion to them, and it, it doesn't matter how many studies you put in front of them, it doesn't change their mind. So, so what do you do culturally to try to turn the tide on this? Well, I don't think there's much you can do because, as you say, for many, it's very much like a religious cult, and, and you don't mess with a person's religion. So I think the what will stop it is if we could encourage some unfortunate country or state to do everything that's demanded, you know, by the climate fanatics, the environmental fanatics, and uh, let the rest of the world watch in horror and uh, stop before they make the same mistakes. So, I, I, you know, often that's what causes the end of human uh, folly. It's not pure reason it's because you see the results of the folly and you finally realize that uh, you don't want to do that very interesting thought very interesting thought literally we need a nation to be the lab 
uh, where all of these the crazy climate policies are are implemented to their fullest extent, and then get to and then everybody else can can observe, which I thought would happen. Right, right. I mean. It, it, could be Germany, or yeah. it could be the state of California. You know, there are lots of candidates. <laughs> right, right. No kidding. No kidding. Uh, yeah, I was hoping that would happen with, with with COVID, but it seemed like everybody adopted the bad policies, so you didn't get to see uh, a, a place where it was where it was normal. Um, I, I I just uh, man, I'm so thankful that that we got a rational voice in you, and uh, I, I'm wondering what how you would, and this would just be uh, not scientific necessarily, unless you know of uh, maybe a way to do that, but um, your your guess as to how the scientific the the climate scientific community overall breaks down. I mean, is this a fifty fifty split on 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 where we really are on this issue and where there are not public policy decisions can change climate change versus those who want to you know spend trillions of dollars on this? Because uh, we always hear the entire scientific community agrees on this, and yet then I see lists of thousands of people like you saying no, we don't agree on this. Yeah, it's 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 hard to say. You know, there's some people who are just so religiously against, uh, you know, Republicans or you know, white males, you you name it. That uh, if if they happen to be right about climate, it doesn't matter. You know, uh, they would rather go after them and. Uh, and do all these stupid things about climate, then uh, then stop and think and realize that you're you're really harming everyone in the world by uh, pushing these, you know, insane policies. I, I I don't know what to do about it. it. It's you know it's human nature. I'm really good with differential equations and instruments, but I'm not real good with humans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It sounds like almost uh, you know we we called it Trump derangement syndrome. They've they've got you know any kind of conservative derangement syndrome or political party derange. They can't think straight because because they're so blinded by their hatred of the other side. Uh, politically, and and therefore not even willing to to come forward with what they actually believe the science is doing. That's an interesting, oh, what yeah, what a phenomenon. How do you turn that around, Professor? What a treat. Been been a pleasure to have you on the program today. Thank you so much for what you do, and thanks for spending some time with us. Okay, keep keep up your good work. Thank you, sir. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back with David and Tim Barton. Hey guys, we want to let you know about a new resource we have at Wall Builders called The American Story. For so many years, people have asked us to do a history book to help tell more of the story that's just not known or not told today. And we would say very providentially, in the midst of all of the new attacks coming out against America, whether it be from things like the 1619 Project that say America is evil and everything in America was built off slavery, which is certainly not true, or things like even the Black Lives Matter movement, the organization itself, not, not the statement Black Lives Matter, but the organization that says we're against everything that America was built on and this is part of the Marxist ideology. There's so many things attacking America. Well, is America worth defending? What is a true story of America? We actually have written and told that story, starting with Christopher Columbus, going roughly through Abraham Lincoln. We tell the story of America, not as the story of a perfect nation or a perfect people, but the story of how God used these imperfect people and did great things through this nation. It's a story you want to check out. Wallbuilders.com, The American Story. Welcome back. Thanks for staying with us here on Wall Builders. Thanks to Professor Happer for joining us as well. Back with David and Tim. 
And, uh, man, David, I wish you uh, – you should tag team with him next time he goes to uh, testify at the Senate. That'd be kind of fun. You guys would just decimate the left together. Well, uh, no, because you, you can't get people to not believe a lie if they want to believe a lie. So evidence has yeah. never been the solution because these guys have more evidence than they can shake a stick at, and they don't care because it's their religious beliefs. And, and you know, he talked about that. He said these guys are like a religious cult, and he's exactly right. And he has so many phrases in there that I, that I thought were really, really interesting. Uh, his, his note that real climate science has been set back 50 years by this climate alarmism. That is a strong, strong statement. But I think it's true because instead of looking for things they should be looking for, they're trying to prove a thesis they have. And then he was talking about how the government of funding, it, it affects the scientific findings and outcomes. You know, our friend Phil King, senator in Texas, uh, saw that and saw that groups that came before, testified before the Senate, if they were there uh, being paid by some entity to do research, then they pronounced the findings that were consistent with what they'd been paid to find. And so instead of having true science, it's just giving them uh, facts, they're giving them skewed facts. And so they passed a law that said, look, if you're going to come testify before us on science, if you're getting paid anywhere for, for what you're doing, you got to let us know because that's a bias. And so for Professor Happer to talk about that, uh, that it's an industry that is really their entire income is based on maintaining alarmism. That's how they make money, by doing alarmism. And as he was saying that, I, I was reminded of, of Dwight Eisenhower's farewell address. Dwight Eisenhower, as he's going out, he had some really strong statements to say in, in his farewell address. But one that he dealt with was don't let the government get into funding scientific research. And, and I just want to read that part of what he said. Uh, he said, today, the solitary inventor tinkering in his shop has been overshadowed by task forces of scientists and laboratories and testing fields. In the same fashion, the free university, historically the fountainhead of free ideas and scientific discovery, has experienced a revolution in the conduct of research. Partly because of the huge cost involved, a government contract becomes virtually a substitute for intellectual curiosity. That's what Hamper was saying. When you get money, you lose the intellectual curiosity. You're not trying to find the truth. You're trying to prove a point. Eisenhower continues. He says, the prospect of domination of the nation's scholars by federal employment, project allocations, and the power of money is ever-present and is gravely to be regarded. Yet, in holding scientific research and discovery in respect, as we should, we must also be alert to the equal and opposite danger that public policy itself could become the captive of scientific technological elite. And that's what's happened. It's the paid people that are paid to do this stuff, and, and our science has become captive to that. And he finishes this way. He said, It is the task of statesmanship to mold, to balance, and to integrate these and other forces, new and old, within the principles of our democratic system, ever aiming toward the supreme goals of our free society. What these guys are doing is not producing a free society. It's producing a controlled society. And so Eisenhower's warning there was really, really good. And I think what Professor Happer was saying just really is kind of like a modern restatement of what Eisenhower's warning is about way back 50 years ago. David, I, I'll just remind our, our viewers that have been through Constitutional Live, you and I talk about this. It's in, in Article 1, Section 8. It says, to promote the progress of science and useful arts, comma, by securing for limited times to authors and inventors the exclusive right to their respective writings and discoveries. In other words, Eisenhower's right. We're not supposed to be funding them. We're just supposed to be protecting their inventions once they make those inventions. But it's not government's job to promote the progress of science and useful arts 
by doing all this other stuff. It literally specifically says in the Constitution the only way to promote it is by protecting the inventions once they're made. That's very different from picking winners and losers and funding these different uh, pet projects. Guys, one of the other things he said that that struck me, uh, he, he identified some of the models they're using. And, and one of the things that certainly uh, we have heard over time is, is how flawed these models are. And, and we've actually been able to see that over the last several decades, some of their predictions and how inaccurate the predictions are. Uh, but it reminded me when, when we had our, our recent legislators conference, we had a, a couple of experts come in and they were talking about uh, AI, artificial intelligence. And, and we've even seen with some of these AI uh, programs, whether it be a, a chat GBT, uh, some of these different options that are out there from these companies that are making their own AI, they're able to program them in a certain way that they're able to uh, to have a desired outcome with a certain filtering of information. And this is also where, if we're talking about science and how that happens, when you are now programming your algorithms, programming your models, programming your AI in a certain way to make sure that it's going to produce a certain outcome, and you get funding to do this, it totally makes sense why people are saying, no, look what the models are showing us. No, I, I get that's what the model shows. But somebody had to program that model. And what we are learning more and more are the people that are programming some of these models or some of these AIs, they're not doing it without bias. They're doing it based on a belief system that they have. And certainly they're chasing the money because the more they can show it's a problem, there are literally groups and organizations that say, we will fund you if you can find this. And that's all they're doing. They they are, are following where the money is and they're creating these different algorithms, or in some cases, it could be AI, or it could be these these climate models to show a certain result for the desired outcome. But as we heard today, that's really not what the science is showing, regardless of what the model is telling them. All right, folks, thanks for joining us today on the Wall Builders Show. You can get more of our programming at our website, wallbuilderslive.com. There's an archive section there if you enjoyed today and you want to just go grab some of the previous programs from a few months back. You can listen to some Good News Friday programs, Foundations of Freedom Thursdays, And then Monday through Wednesday, we have great interviews just like we did today. And then also consider signing up as a Constitution coach and hosting some of our classes in your home or in your living, you know, right there in your house, I think is the best place to do it. But you can also do it at your church fellowship hall or local library or wherever you like. Just get people educated, folks. We have all got a role to play in this. And if you want to be a Constitution coach, we give that away to you for free. You can do that today at constitutioncoach.com. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to The Wall Builder Show. Stand undivided